All right, we are going to be in Matthew chapter 28 this morning, so if you have a Bible, I would encourage you to turn over to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew is the first book in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 28. I'll give you a few moments to turn there. Uh, while you're turning there, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to start by just praying uh, real quick. I I want to just pray over our time as we spend time opening up God's Word and studying it together. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your Word. We praise you for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. God, I pray right now that you would help us as we read your Word. Lord, apart from you, we can do nothing. God, I cannot teach your Word without your help. God, we can't even understand your Word rightly without your help. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you would give us uh, discernment. I pray that you would teach us. I pray that you would give us humble, receptive hearts that are that will listen to what you have to say to us this morning. And I pray that for anyone here this morning, God, that does not know you, that has not been born again and made new from the inside out, for anyone, Lord, that doesn't know and have an assurance that Christ died on the cross for their sin and rose from the dead, that today would be the day of salvation. Lord, I pray that you would be gracious and that you would save those that are lost this morning, those that don't know you. Um, Lord, I pray maybe even for those who are here who uh, have uh, been going to church off and on for most of their lives and maybe have always assumed that they have been saved because of their church attendance or because they pick up their Bible every now and then. And Lord, if they are not born again, I pray that today that you would confront them with your word, God, and that you would give them eyes to see and ears to hear. Um, Lord, I I pray that we would all leave here just in awe of who you are, Jesus, and rejoicing in the gospel. I pray this in your name. Amen. All right, so I'm going to just begin reading through the passage, and uh, we'll stop along the way as we're reading and uh, just point out a couple things. So we're starting in verse 1. It says that now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. So 36 hours earlier, these two women and Jesus' disciples had watched as the one that they had left everything to follow had hung dying on a cross. They, They had thought that Jesus was the Messiah. They thought that He was the Savior of Israel. They were convinced. But then they had watched as He'd been falsely accused and condemned to die. And the disciples were now in hiding. And meanwhile, these women who had followed Jesus and who loved Jesus came to anoint his body with spices and ointment. And it was a quiet, early morning. And the sun was just coming up. And they were not expecting what came next. Let's keep reading. It says in verse 2, it says, And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing was white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. And so instead of a quiet scene, they found an empty tomb. They found an angel of the Lord in dazzling white, and they found the stone rolled away. And the guards passed out like they were dead. Matthew Henry is a commentator uh, who's died a long time ago, but he commented on this passage. He said the guards were 
posted there to keep a dead man in his grave. It's the easiest assignment they had ever gotten, and yet they couldn't even do that. By the way, it's just a good thing to pause here and note that God's enemies are powerless to stop him. It's laughable and foolish to contend with God. Psalm 135 verse 6 says that whatever the Lord does, he pleases, he does, in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all deeps. Even death must bow the knee to King Jesus. Let's keep reading. So after the women arrive at the empty tomb and they see the angel, it says in verse 5, But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So the two Marys had no need for spices to anoint Jesus' body because Jesus was not there. And Jesus had told them numerous times beforehand that he would be killed and on the third day he would rise. But they had never considered that it would be an actual possibility. So the women, they left quickly. It says they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and they ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. And they came up and they took hold of his feet and they worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. So, so on their way to tell the disciples, Jesus himself meets them on the road. And they responded in the only appropriate way that they could. They worshipped at his feet. From there, they ran to go and tell the disciples that Jesus was alive. And this story that we just read has turned the world upside down. But the big question is, is it true? Did Jesus really rise from the dead? Well, I'll just be honest with you. If it's not true, and if Jesus didn't actually rise from the dead, then we may as well all pack our things and go home. Because what's the point of us being here this morning? We'd be wasting our time. But we are here because it is true. And because it's true, it changes everything. This morning, I just want to briefly talk about the evidence for Jesus' resurrection and then the implications for Jesus' resurrection. In other words, how do we know that it's true and what does it mean? So let's talk about the evidence for Jesus' resurrection. The first thing I want to point out to you is that Jesus predicted his resurrection. Jesus predicted it. Over and over, Jesus told his disciples that he would be rejected by the religious authorities, he would be killed, and on the third day he would rise. Two chapters earlier in Matthew chapter 26, verse 32, it was the night before his death, Jesus told his disciples, he said, I'm going to be killed, and he said, but after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. So basically, Jesus is like, hey guys, I'm about to get killed, but I'm going to rise from the dead, I'll meet you in Galilee, see you there in a couple of days. And it just kind of goes right over the disciples' head, but they would realize what it meant afterwards. So get this, Jesus tells them, I'll meet you in Galilee, and then look back with me at our passage in verse 6. When the angels go to the women, what do the angels say to the women? He says, they say, he has risen as he said. Go quickly and tell the disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, what? He is going before you to Galilee. 
And then again, in verse 10, Jesus himself appears to the women. And what does he say to the women? He says, tell my brothers what? To go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Jesus is emphasizing, I'm doing exactly what I said I was going to do. I died, I've risen from the dead, and I'm going to meet you in Galilee. God's plans are never frustrated. God never reacts. He is absolutely and completely sovereign and in control. All things happen according to his will, including his death and resurrection. From before creation, God's plan was that Christ would die on the cross to atone for our sin and then rise from the dead on the third day. Jesus said in John 10, 18, he said, No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. How can Jesus do that? Because he is God. Jesus said he would rise from the dead, and then he did. Talk about power. No wonder the guards trembled and passed out with fear. The second piece of evidence I want to point out to you is that the empty tomb proves the resurrection. So Jesus predicted it, and the empty tomb proves it. The infamous communist leader Mao in China, uh, his corpse is on display in Tiananmen Square. You can actually go and visit it, and you can go and marvel at his corpse. Uh, every once in a while, they take it out and they pickle it with some more formaldehyde and paint him with some more makeup to keep it from decaying. And it's on display for everyone to go and see. You can go see it today. This is actually kind of popular among communist leaders. Uh, this, you can do the same thing with uh, Vladimir Lenin, Ho Chi Minh. Uh, all of their lifeless corpses are on display for you to go and to see if you would like to do so. I don't know if you're into that. I'm not really, but you can if you want to. You know, you can also visit the garden tomb in Jerusalem. The garden tomb is the site where some believe that Jesus was buried. And you can visit Monday through Saturday between 8.30 and 12 or 2 and 5.30. But what you will not find there is Jesus' body. Because it's not there. Because Jesus is alive. Tim Kesey, an author, uh, commented on this. He said, the preservation of the corpses of communist leaders is atheism's pathetic version of the resurrection. I'm thankful that my supreme leader's tomb is empty. And when the women came to the tomb to anoint Jesus' body, the angel told them, I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. The story of Jesus' resurrection is not a metaphor. It's an historical account with witnesses and evidence that is verifiable. We do not have a blind, uninformed faith. This is a reasoned faith. You know, I've often wondered why it's so difficult for some to believe that God can raise the dead. The Apostle Paul asked the same question to his detractors in Acts 26. He said, why do you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? How is it that we can believe that, that there's a God who made everything that we see who's given us life, and yet we stumble over the resurrection? If he can give life, he can raise life. Both the evidence and the logic of reason tell us that Jesus really rose from the dead. So Jesus predicted it, the, the empty tomb proves it, and the third piece of evidence I want to share with you is that many witnessed it. 
Many witnessed Jesus' resurrected body. They encountered him after he had risen from the dead. And it's interesting that the first two witnesses were women. And in this culture, a woman's testimony was not even admissible in court. Women were not valued in first century Palestine. And so a woman's testimony wasn't even admissible in court. So if this was just a story that was made up by Jesus' disciples, they would not have chosen two women as their star witnesses. But God did. God did choose two women to be the first who would see the empty tomb. Not to mention, there were hundreds of others eyewitnesses that saw Jesus alive. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15.6 in his letter to the church in Corinth, he said, Jesus appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. So the story was verifiable. The gospel and the New Testament writings were circulating while all of these witnesses were alive. And so if this was just a made-up story that wasn't true, someone would have said something. Someone would have said, yo, yo, you're using my name and saying, he's not alive, I didn't see him. It could have easily been refuted. But there is no historical evidence that says that anyone refuted it. In fact, the opposite happened. The witnesses of Jesus' resurrected body, they died for their testimony. After they saw him alive, they knew that they had seen him, and so they were willing to die for their testimony. All 11 disciples died for their faith. If they had been lying to try and gain a following, surely they would have recanted once they had faced death. If this was just a hoax, they would have had nothing to gain by dying. But they all went to their deaths proclaiming Jesus' resurrection because they knew that to live is Christ and to die is gain. So Jesus predicted it. The empty tomb proves it. Many witnessed it. And the last piece of evidence I'll share with you is that Christians have experienced it. Christians have experienced it. Here's what I mean. Today, thousands of followers of Jesus, like myself and many here, can testify to the resurrection power of Jesus in their own lives. We've experienced firsthand God's power in bringing us from death to life. We were once dead in our sins and hostile to God, but He has transformed us from the inside out. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. Every one of us can bear witness to this miracle that has been wrought in our hearts. We've been raised to new spiritual life and we know that upon Jesus' return, we will be raised from the dead bodily. My life has been transformed by the gospel and I know that dozens of others here can testify to the same thing. So based on all this evidence that proves the resurrection of Jesus, the question is, what does it mean? What are the implications? What does it mean for your life? The first implication I want to point out is that Jesus' resurrection proves that He is God. And because of that, He has all authority. Later on in this chapter, at the end of Matthew 28, He's going to tell the disciples, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded. And behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus' resurrection proved his identity as the eternal Son of God. 
So that means that his words cannot simply be ignored. We must reckon with them. Jesus' words are not the words of, of a good teacher or of a wise sage. They are the words of the everlasting almighty God. And because Jesus is God, that means that he has authority over you and over me, whether you know that or not. And he is deserving of our worship. That was the response of the two women. When they encountered him, they took hold of his feet and they worshipped him. And yet I know that there are many of you here this morning who are not worshipping him with your lives. Some of you refuse to believe in him despite the evidence. Others of you claim to honor him and yet you ignore his commands. You ought to be concerned because a day of judgment is coming when you will give an account to God for all that you've done. Everyone here. We'll stand before God and give an account of our lives. And you might think, well, what's the big deal? I mean, sure, I'm, I'm not perfect, but I'm a pretty good person. Well, maybe in comparison to others you are, but you will not be judged in comparison to other fellow rebels against God on Judgment Day. You will be judged in comparison to God's holy and perfect law. And guess what? Every single one of us falls short. And it's not just your actions that God will look at, but your heart. You may not have murdered anyone, but Jesus said that whoever hates another person has already committed murder in his heart. You may not have committed adultery, but Jesus said whoever looks at someone with lust has already committed adultery in their heart. All of your deeds, your entire thought life will be brought up on judgment day and read aloud. Hebrews 4.13 says that nothing in all of creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. That, could, that should concern anyone who does not know Christ because all of us on our own merit are guilty of transgressing God's law. Romans 3 says there is none righteous, no, not one. There's nothing we can do to save ourselves. But God is rich in mercy. And so he sent Jesus to die on the cross to take the judgment that we deserved so that we could be saved. And then three days later, Jesus rose from the dead. That's what this whole weekend is about. That's what we're celebrating. The fact that Jesus, the Son of God, came. He became a man so that he could take on a body and die on the cross for your sin and your place. And then be raised from the dead. So that you could have life. And here's another implication of the resurrection. You see, when Jesus rose from the dead, it showed that all of our sin debt had been paid in full. Jesus' resurrection means our sin debt has been paid in full. You know, when a thief goes to jail and he's sentenced to a prison term for his crime, after he has served his sentence in jail and he's released, we say that he's paid his debt to society, right? And so he's free to go. There's no longer any need for him to remain in jail because the payment for his crime is complete. Well, in the same way, when Jesus rose from the dead, it proved that our sin debt had been paid in full. And it was not the debt of his own sin that Jesus paid. Jesus was sinless. Jesus was innocent. It was our sin debt that Jesus paid in full. We could never repay that debt for our sin. Apart from Christ, our prison sentence is eternal. But Jesus is perfect and His blood far surpasses the worth of anything else. So His blood and His blood alone was sufficient to pay the debt for our sin. 
That's why Romans 4.25 says, He was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. His resurrection seals it. It proves that our debt has been paid in full. And if Jesus had not been raised from the dead, we could have no assurance that our debt had been paid. But he is alive. So those of us who have trusted in him can know for certain that we will never be condemned for our sin. Jesus was condemned in our place. And on judgment day, he will stand with us as our advocate, not as our judge. So if you're a believer, I just want to remind you this morning and encourage you that whenever you are troubled with feelings of condemnation, Meditate on the empty tomb and remember what it means. It it means that your sentence has been completed by Jesus in your place. Your debt has been paid. For those of you who refuse to trust in Jesus as Savior and Lord, I want to, to stop and to point out, because I can't let this morning go by without being sure that I'm very clear, If you refuse to trust in Christ, you will stand alone on judgment day and you will face Jesus as your judge. You will be responsible to pay your own sin debt to God. And the wages of sin is death. But because you have sinned against an infinitely holy God, that sentence will stretch on for an infinite amount of time. You could never pay it back. There will never come a day where you can say, I've I've paid my debt to God. It will go on forever and ever and ever in hell. I don't share this to scare you, but because it's true. It's straight from God's word, and I don't want anyone to go there. So I plead with you to repent of your sin and to trust in Jesus. That's why he came, so that you do not have to die. So that you will not perish, but have everlasting life. So why would you refuse this free, glorious gift of salvation from God? It's if you want to turn and trust in Jesus, Romans 10, 9 says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And to trust in Jesus, what that means is it means to become his disciple. It means to follow him. It doesn't mean to pray a prayer or to get baptized. It means to turn from living a sinful life and to begin following Jesus. So my question is, are you trusting in Jesus for salvation and submitting to Him as the Lord and Savior of your life? Don't do anything else today until you have settled that matter for certain in your life. There's nothing more important, not where you're going to go for lunch afterwards, not the Easter egg hunt you're going to do for the kids later, not the family get-together. There's nothing more important than settling this matter in your life. Jesus has demonstrated that he has all authority by rising from the dead. And through him, you can come to God today and not just be forgiven, but receive everlasting life. This is the last implication I want to point out before we close. The resurrection means that believers have eternal life. So again, I said earlier that Jesus' resurrection is not just a metaphor. When Jesus appeared to the two Marys, they took hold of his feet and they worshipped him. Later, he would appear to all of his disciples and they would touch him. They would put their hands in the holes in his hands and, and in his side. And, they, and he would eat in front of them and they would spend time together and they would embrace. Scott Hubbard commented, he said, Jesus is the first human to have a heart that will never stop beating, lungs that will never stop breathing, legs that will never stop walking, 
and eyes that will never stop seeing. But he won't be the last. Because 1 Corinthians 15.20 says that Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. What that means is that because Jesus has defeated death, everyone who trusts in him will also be raised bodily from the dead. We're not just going to float around like spirits or like angels in the clouds in heaven when we die. We have this, this picture that we think that that's what heaven's going to be like. No, Jesus rose bodily from the dead. He has a glorious resurrected body and those who've trusted in Christ will also be raised to life bodily along with him. And we will have new glorified bodies. When Christians die, the Bible says that immediately we will be in the presence of the Lord. And when Jesus returns, He will make all things new, including our bodies. Our bodies will never break down or grow old. He will wipe away every tear from our eyes. There will be no more sorrow or pain. And with these new imperishable bodies, believers will worship and enjoy God in His goodness forever. And on Easter, we celebrate that hope and that certain future. This is the resurrection hope that ought to mark our entire lives. Guys, the world around us is paralyzed by the fear of death. Worldly people are consumed with self-preservation. We need Christians who live like they believe that the resurrection of Jesus is true. Who live like they believe that they're going to live forever because we are. The resurrection of Jesus Christ changes everything for us, church. It brings hope and an expectation of resurrection when we face death, either our own death or the death of a loved one. It brings an expectation of restoration to those who are chronically ill or suffering. The resurrection of Jesus frees us to be radically generous with our possessions because we know that our treasure is not on earth. For us, the best is yet to come. The resurrection of Jesus empowers us to lay our lives down, to make Jesus known, even if it costs us our reputations or our jobs or even our very lives. Because for us to live is Christ and to die is gain. The resurrection should change everything about our lives. We should stand out in a world that's paralyzed by the fear of death as people who believe that to live is Christ and to die is gain. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up and we're going to go ahead and close out. But I want to, as they make their way up, uh, I just want to leave you with a question. When people, here's what I want you to ask yourself. When people look at my life, is it obvious that I believe that I have eternal life through Jesus Christ? When people look at my life, is it obvious that I believe that I have eternal life through Jesus Christ? Does your life stand out amongst an unbelieving world? Are you following in Jesus' steps? Are you obeying His commands with your life? Maybe you're here this morning also and you're not really sure where you stand with God. You're not sure if you're actually a Christian, if you're born again. Maybe you've grew up in church, but you've been out of church for a while. Maybe you kind of just come sporadically, or maybe you've been a faithful attender of church, but right now this morning you're kind of being hit with the sudden realization that I'm not really sure if I truly know God. This morning you can know for certain. This morning you can make sure that you have a restored relationship with God.
right there in your seat. You can, you can confess your sin to a God who is gracious, who is merciful and just to forgive you of your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. I would encourage you in your seat to confess your sin and place your faith in Jesus. Call out to Him for salvation and He'll forgive you this morning. And if you decide to do that, I really would love it if you would come and talk to myself. In fact, I'm going to ask uh, Thomas and I'm going to ask uh, Chad and a couple of others, a couple of our elders are going to be over here on the side. And as we're uh, just finishing up in this closing song, if you'd like somebody to pray with you, or if you'd like to give your life to Christ, uh, maybe for the first time this morning, you can just make your way over there and you can talk to one of us and we'd love to pray with you this morning. Let me close in prayer and then the worship team will close us with a, with a closing song. God, I, I thank you so much for the gospel. Lord, we love you. We praise you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for our sin and the defeating death, rising on the third day. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to you. Jesus, you are the risen King. You are the Lord of lords. You have all authority over all of our lives. Lord, I pray for anyone here that has never trusted in you for their salvation. I pray that they would do so right now, that you'd give them eyes to see a heart to believe the gospel. God, I, I pray for your, your church. I pray for believers here that we would be encouraged, that we'd be emboldened by the resurrection of Jesus, that you would help us to live in light of the resurrection of Jesus, that our lives would stand out in the midst of an unbelieving world that's paralyzed by fear as those who believe that Jesus is alive because of that, we too will live forever. Jesus, we love you. We worship you this morning. We pray all this in your name. Amen.